a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. Has anybody trademarked the phrase, let us revel in wrong think? Because I think it would be a really good motto for the show. (laughs) It's just kind of my thing. I'm okay, you know, as long as we're talking about Orwellian wrong think. Basically, we're we're running afoul of new speak. We're running afoul of, you know, whatever uh, whatever Big Brother is insisting. You have to think this way. Yeah, let's let's revel in it. And by the way, we're going to in this hour. I have some great stuff ahead of us. We're going to talk about a bit about why is it that the states with the most stringent lockdowns bore the brunt. Of COVID-19. John Miltimore from the Foundation for Economic Education has a, a very thoughtful and analytical article about why the blue states have been hit much harder by COVID-19 than other states. And by the way, on a similar note, J.D. Tusil, writing for Reason.com, asks the question about uh, as, as tax, I'm sorry, as delayed tax day approaches. Consider what you're getting for your money. If you've ever heard anybody say, now, look, we all don't really care for taxes, but that's the price you pay to live in a civilized society. Well, here, let me just turn my chair so I can get a good view of Seattle. Um, Oh, look, the summer of love apparently has come to an end. I wonder how the taxpayers in Seattle feel about what they're getting for their money. Right. Get the get the picture. Also, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how uh, statues and monuments, you it's no secret they're causing a lot of conflict, both with people wanting to tear them down and in some cases, people wanting to protect them. I mean, I get it. You know, you're well-intentioned, but uh, I'm sorry, putting on your battle rattle and going out there with your rifle to stand guard, you know, over that statue may not be the best thing to do at the moment. But if you want to de-escalate the situation, I think Jacob Hornberger from the Future of Freedom Foundation has some marvelous advice, and it's to start by depoliticizing the statues. In other words, let the let the municipalities, let the the cities, the states, other other public entities, let them stop being the ones who pay for and put up and host these statues and let them become private property. See, then if someone comes along and disagrees and wants to destroy your private property, you have recourse. You don't have to bend the knee. You don't have to apologize and, and abase yourself in order to, to correct something that, uh, you know, up until, well, somebody started complaining was apparently just fine. Just a thought. And we're also going to talk a little bit about masks, manners and mind control. This was the column that I had published earlier this week on Southern Utah Now. And I I write a regular weekly column. And look, I'll be the first to admit, when I wrote this, I was writing it from the standpoint of I'm really tired of seeing people fight over the whole mask thing. It's becoming one of those big division points in our society. And I'm not going to go out there and confront people about it. I'm not trying to conduct myself in a way that's inviting them to confront me. At the same time, I find myself drawing a bit of a line here. And and the, the more I can go without a mask the happier I'm going to be. In fact, I've kind of made it a goal 
You know, as, as long as nobody's really telling me you cannot come in here or we cannot serve you without a mask, then uh, I don't want to wear one. But you know you've hit a nerve when someone invokes the phrase, how dare you? And they're only half joking. I think I hit a nerve with this. And I want to share with you some of my thoughts on masks, manners, and mind control. Because I am one of those skeptics. I'm one of those heretics who does not believe that uh, the real root of why we should all be wearing the mask is, you know, A, because I care about others. I do, but that's not how I'm going to show it. Or B, it's really going to save lives. So I want to start with a question. And the question is this. When is it acceptable? to impose something on another person for their own good. Now, I understand. That's a subjective call, right? It's going to differ from situation to situation. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer here. But how we answer this question about when it's acceptable to impose something on someone else actually says a lot more about us individually than it does about the person upon whom something is about to be imposed. In fact, it can reveal whether we tend to view others as individuals with self-determination and autonomy, or if we tend to see others as objects to be controlled. And a good rule of thumb to keep in mind is that any idea that is so incredible that it has to be mandatory is probably not such a good idea. Truly good ideas take hold by virtue of their soundness and use of persuasion. Ideas that have to be instituted by threat or by force are not the product of freely chosen actions. Therefore, they don't represent real virtue. People aren't doing it because, oh, yeah, I want to be a good person. They're doing it because I'm, I want to avoid, you know, punishment. By the way, that, uh, <laughs> excuse me, that last little segment there about how if an idea is so good it has to be mandatory, it's probably not a good idea. A friend actually excerpted that out of the article, shared it on Facebook, and and I had to laugh because one of the responses, well, that sounds like something that was written by a very childish person who has a problem with people in authority. Which, if that's the case, okay, Guilty. All I'm suggesting is maybe you should have a problem with someone in authority insisting you do something if it's not a legitimate authority that they're exercising. See, people will do what they have to do in order to avoid punishment. But if you want to see truly good actions, authentically virtuous actions, that means people have to have the choice of not doing it as well. And this plays right into this current cultural rift over the wearing of masks in public. Now, I have to concede, because I am a believer and a supporter, and I want to be consistent on private property rights, that a private property owner has an absolute right to ask that guests or customers wear a mask while on their property. But at the same time, I want to make the distinction, governments have no such authority to mandate that the public do so. But this hasn't stopped a kind of volunteer mask militia that is mustered to enforce these policies and shout people down. In some cases, literally shout them down. And, and they're just they're becoming unbearable. Mask shaming is a thing. And these mask enforcers can't understand why someone would be so stupid and so stubborn as to refuse their demands to wear the mask. In fact, I wonder if they're curious why non-wearers aren't more grateful for their browbeating. I don't know. Let's go through a bucket of cold water in someone's face and expect them to thank us for the wake up. But here, I'll put my cards on the table. I think the crusade to mask the public is more symbolic. In fact, I think it's about as symbolic as it is widespread. 
Look at how many politicians right now are currently falling all over themselves to encourage people, wear a mask as a visible sign of how much you care about others. And yet these are the same politicians who insist that only certain kinds of activities that would bring people together, church or uh, celebrations of freedom or things like that, well, that's, that's the kind of stuff we can't have because of the risk of COVID-19. Mass protests, you know, from the, from the Black Lives Matter organization or from Antifa. Yeah, nothing but crickets, apparently. And in fact, they're coming out and saying on the record, yeah, this really hasn't done anything to, uh, you know, to facilitate the spread of the virus. Okay, so in other words, the politicians, there is a politicized goal. And while there may be a limited degree of benefit in covering one's face in public, especially if you happen to be showing symptoms of illness, all this vehement imposition of one's preference on others is not exactly a virtuous act. In fact, if if I can be very blunt, more often than not, it appears to be the act of someone who is looking for something to feed their sense of superiority. Well, why don't you wear a mask like I do? Can you not see how virtuous I am? But the stigma that they're creating is real, and I think it's entirely unnecessary. And I believe it's more about forcing compliance and less about preventing disease. And I'm going to suggest that that's something we should not accept without question. Following the crowd just because, well, everybody's doing it, I don't want to stand out. That's not how you become a good person. Claire Lehman is the author of, or the editor, rather, of Quillette. And she writes, the psychology of crowds is a fascinating thing. Because most people are conformist, it seems pretty clear that once a certain number of ideologues take hold in an organization or society, a tipping point is reached and the herd just follows along. Now, cultivating that desired mindset too often involves group manipulation techniques that have been utilized throughout history by those seeking to dominate others. And can you blame them? I mean, come on, psychologists have understood for a long time. Groups are far easier to control than individuals. If you've ever had to sit through mandated consensus-building exercises, maybe in the workplace or maybe you went to a PTA meeting or some other public meeting, you have seen firsthand what an effective tool they are to indoctrinate groups of people using the power of peer pressure. And I'm not so sure that that's not what's happening with the wearing of these masks. And, of course, these exercises are most effective on folks who don't even realize they're being manipulated. Hey, welcome back to the Brian Hyde Show. Thank you to our audience joining us live on K Talk AM 1640 in Salt Lake City. Also on the Loving Liberty Radio Network and any of the other many platforms that have started to pick up this little program. And thanks to our podcast audience as well. Look, I realize there are a lot of choices you have out there as to where you can spend your valuable time filling your ears with wise words or distractions as the case may be i'm glad that uh, that you have chosen this one and i hope i'm making it worth your while join the conversation if you'd like 801-331-8113 again 801-331-8113 just to, to finish up on this idea about masks manners and mind control 
I really think that there is some group manipulation stuff going on here. And this doesn't mean that I think everybody who wears a mask is a sheep. I think a lot of people are just trying to do the best they can under the circumstances. There are a lot of folks who don't want to make waves. And there are some folks who are genuinely afraid. But I think it's a matter of personal conscience. If that's what makes them feel safer in going out in public, more power to them. I mean, I know people who wore masks really before it was, you know, the craze, before it was the fashion. Just because they didn't like to be around sick people come cold or flu season. I can understand that. At the same time, I have a very strong sense of being manipulated by the constant drumbeat of fear, the way that COVID-19 cases are reported, the way that, you know, the focus is always on, well, if there's new cases, that must mean that this thing is getting out of control. Same thing. You know, I shared the story yesterday about after the uh, Colin Ray concert down in Cedar City a couple of weeks back. Of course, people were watching very closely. Well, let's see what happened. Let's see what happened to the daily caseload. And the answer was not much. Cases are a little bit higher, but not a single case can be traced to that event. That's according to the doctor over that five county health department. But if there are more cases being reported, I'm just asking you to consider this. Is it possible that it's because more people have been tested? Because that seems to be the case everywhere else. And then, you know, notice how the shift went away from deaths caused by COVID-19 to cases of COVID-19. These cases are being reported with the same gravity as the deaths once were. But you don't hear a lot of talk about the deaths because the death rate still is... I believe not even a complete single digit in terms of the percentage of people who will die from it. That doesn't mean it's a hoax. It doesn't mean this is a conspiracy. It just means that some things are being overstated. And that makes me wonder why. Who benefits when these things are overstated, overreported, overhyped? I don't think it's the common person. I don't think it's you and me. If that makes me a conspiracy nut, so be it. Just remember, some of us conspiracy nuts actually get it right once in a while. To the phone, 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the show. Hello, Brian. How are you today? I am well. How about you? Good. You know, I'm amazed. I've been listening to you for over a year, and, and you're always positive. I think this is an amazing characteristic that you have. Well, maybe it's pharmaceutical. I'm kidding. It's not. <laughs> I don't take mood elevators. But no, Ray, I really do try to look on the bright side. I know there's a lot of negativity out there, but there is. but I feel like I feel like there is purpose in the stuff that's going on and that uh, you know, I believe you and I and everybody within the sound of our voices has a role, a destiny that will contribute to making the world a better place in spite of what's going on. So I'm excited. I'm proud to be born in this time. Nice. Nice. I like that. Yes. It, I mean, there's no question throughout the ages, you know, it, it's, it's clearly reasonable that if we're going to change anything, have an influence on anything, we first have to change ourselves. And then we change yeah. our environment around us. And we can, you know, expand as... Um, as life goes on, and I would like to, um, uh, uh, well, not correct, but um, modify or expand. Um, uh, something I said yesterday. Okay. Yesterday I was just making. Thank you. Yeah, yesterday I was just making a point, but I, you know, um, 
want to point out, Stu, that, that, um, that I was multitasking, and I think I might have sounded a little bit reckless or flippant or cocky, you know, but... Well, go, go ahead and clarify. Balance. I never got that impression, but please, if, you know, if it makes you feel better, go ahead and clarify. Oh, um, I, that makes it a lot better, yes. Um, what it is is I, I want it said that I do believe in civility and courtesy, and I'm willing to help people, you know, even people that are struggling, um, uh, you know, with insecurity or they need to feel better within reason. Sorry, Ray, we're, we're, hang on, hang on just a second here, Ray. All right. I don't know why we're, we're getting a little bit of break up there on the phone. Uh, go ahead. Continue. Let's see. If, let's see if we've got a better connection. Oh, it's pretty common when I'm out here on the road driving. Yeah. Anyway, you have to make that jump. That w- jump. OK. Now, aside from make, rounding out, you know, a point that I made yesterday, um, I would like to say that one thing I haven't heard and one thing, you know, I, I don't know name by name. That I have heard when this whole thing started of a lot of people who invested in face masks. And I'm thinking that there's a lot of people getting rich. I mean, you know, if you could sell, you know, six billion face masks and if you could double your money, you know, I mean, you're talking some big money here, you know, so there's a big incentive for, there's just some influential people who invested in face masks. And, you know, but I think there's a financial gain to a lot of people to keep pushing this, pushing this. And I think the thing that people do not realize is that it's not science. There has been no double-blind study that the face mask makes a difference at all when it comes to COVID-19, you know, COVID-19. There's been no double-blind study. So this is all opinion. And there's a lot of medical professionals on both sides of the fence. Some say it does, and I kind of think they have a ulterior motives, like they've invested in facial masks or they have a political agenda. Definitely um, a and, possibility. And here's, here's the question then, I have, Ray. Why, why must there be the shame? Why do people feel like, well, you know, you're, it's not good enough that you make your own choice and you, you know, accept responsibility for the consequences of your decision. Um, people don't people aren't giving anybody that opportunity. They want to force you. I will make you I will bend you to my will by making you feel ashamed. I think what's going on here is that we need to have a constitutional convention, but it has to be done where it's only one issue. You, you know, it, we can't add on a whole bunch of issues. And what that issue is. It's got to be worded really precisely that, that a, a, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people that is all about separation of powers. You know, and I'd even go so far as people that are hired, non-elected people cannot have power over us. But what that, what that amendment needs is that tyrant... And communism and socialism and Marxism, they're against the Constitution. They, 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 are so, they are different forms of government. 
they are not the kind of government that our founding fathers gave us. And if they would have known this would have happened, I think our founders' fathers would have put it in there. And so now to your point. And what it is, in our schools, our kids are being taught socialism. They live socialism. They're being shamed like socialism. And then they get out. And they, they have no concept of self-rule, self-government, liberty, the whole history. And so they're just a bunch of Marxists, socialists, communists that are getting out of our schools. And, and they don't realize that that is a proven, it, it, you know, worse form of government. Yeah, the seedlings are definitely planted during those years of education. And some kids come out intact, you know, and they, they are still able to see things clearly, but... I think what we've seen play out in the streets, a lot of that uh, raw rage and just, you know, angst looking for, you know, something to lash out at, you know, that kind of hatred kind of has to be trained into a person. And we are back. Hey, thanks for tuning in. This is the Brian Hyde Show. I'm Brian Hyde, 801-331-8113. Let's get right back to the phone. I got Rob on standby. Hello, Rob. Hey, how you doing, buddy? I am well. How about you? I'm doing good. I think this 4th of July, you know, I'm going to burn a mask. <laughs> I think I'm going to tie one to a bottle rocket and launch it in the same That's spirit. Right. Yes. I just really feel that it is necessary to burn a mask. Okay, tell me why. Because it's so obvious about this whole coronavirus and what the intentions are. And these politicians that are are pushing it, especially the ones that are wearing it live on TV, as you can tell they're like acting and they're... You know, they're just doing it to create, to keep this thing alive, to make things difficult, to slow down the economy, to create just a environment where everything is difficult under the president, the current president. Let's face it. They don't want accountability when it comes to your tax dollars. And that's what this is all about. Interesting. It's all about being able to... Take our money from us and just squander it in any way they see fit. And they know if this president gets in again, that's not going to happen. And they're fighting for their lives right now. They're fighting to keep this thing that the, the corruption bandwagon is, is coming to an end, and they don't like it. And all Americans are noticing. They're, they're pretty much on to it. So... I can de- I can definitely see what you're saying. I'll tell you my vantage point. I'm a little bit. I'm looking at it less from a you know the the president's cleaning house and and these guys are afraid of getting caught. I am seeing it more from a standpoint of hey, as long as there's fear and uncertainty, it's easier to keep the public under control, which would play into what you're describing as well. Sure, they don't want to have Trump rallies. They don't want to, you know, they don't want Trump in in their states having rallies, gathering people together, seeing what how united the people are that are going to vote for him. And, and that's, they're, they're, they're blood boiling. They don't know what to do. The gravy train is coming to an end, and, or it has come to an end a lot yeah. for the last four years. And they've been fighting tooth and nail 
trying to prevent it from happening. And this is the last thing they've got, is this virus. Virus and racism. Yes. And the, people, <laughs> the people that fall into this racism thing are just pawns on the chessboard. That's all they are. And isn't it curious that you can't see the virus, uh, nor can you tell when racism lurks in a person's heart? It's, these are subjective calls in some cases. You know, you can test for a virus, but nobody can see it coming. So we keep people in fear that way. And then there's the fear that, oh, well, what if somebody calls me racist? How can I prove that I'm not? Yeah, it's, it's the perfect storm of trying to keep people off balance and, and quiet, afraid to say anything. Well, they picked, it's, it's really a shame. I mean, it, it's so sad to see people fall into this. And it's just like your last caller said, you know, these kids are coming. They're, they're trying to erase history. They're trying to not teach it in the schools of how this country was founded. And it, it's, and, and the younger generation is what we're going to get, a very unproductive generation because they're just not going to know how to go out and, and, and work and, and better themselves. Instead, they want government to try to better them. Yeah. Give up. Just sit on the curb and cry. We'll bring you cookies and milk. Rob, thanks for your call. I'll tell you this. I'm, I'm with Rob in that I, I don't want to wear a mask. Now, I'm not going to make fun of you if you're wearing one. If we encounter one another in public, I will show you the respect of assuming that you know what you're doing. All I'm asking in return is, would you show me the same respect? I'll keep my social distance. I'm not going to, you know, roll my eyes at you like, look at you, you sheep. But, but I got to confess, part of the reason why I'm doing this and part of the reason that I'm taking this stance along with a lot of other folks is I feel like every time I say no, I am asserting my self-ownership. I am asserting my will to live as a free man, not bowed by fear and not going along just because, well, it's what the crowd is doing. I'm not going to go out of my way to, to infect anybody. I won't uh, cover my sneezes. I, I won't sneeze in your mouth like I used to do. Right. No, I, all I ask is, can this be a two-way road when it comes to this respect? And the sad thing is, for a lot of people, the answer is hell no. No! No! Put the mask on! <laughs> they, they just, they aren't willing to do it. By the way, Rob mentioned something here, and that uh, that was, you know, about uh, about taxes. Let's talk a little bit about tax day is approaching, right? We bumped it back to July 15th. There you go. Uncle Sugar has done us all a great favor. But as you look around, you consider the incompetence, the infighting, the obstructionism, the authoritarianism. How do you feel about what your taxes are buying you? And I particularly think about the people in Seattle within a six-block area, formerly known as Chaz and then as Chop, just reclaimed this morning by the city of Seattle. It's a, it's a trash heap. The crime rate was up like 500%, you know, for murders and robberies and, and rapes. But taxes are the price we pay to live in a civilized society. Well, somebody's getting screwed over if that's the case. J.D. Tusil. Writing for Reason.com says, flattening the curve on COVID-19 has meant flattening the curve on tax season, too. 
In other words, pushing everything down the line a bit so that final day to hand over the government's cut of your hard-earned money comes up on July 15th. And he says that's given us an unparalleled opportunity in a time of crisis to assess what we're getting for our money. Amidst the smoking ruins of 2020, it's understandable if you regret every penny you've ever surrendered to a tax collector. In fact, J.D. J. Tussil says the uh, year 2020 should stand forever as evidence that rather than a solution, government is often a cup of gasoline just waiting to be thrown on a fire. And the spark this time was a tiny but deadly virus. Now, from the beginning, President Trump minimized the danger posed by COVID-19, even as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, and Food and Drug Administration, agencies of the federal government over which he presides, fumbled developing a test for the disease and kneecapped academic, commercial, and hospital efforts that could do better. The FDA only belatedly eased rules standing in the way of expanding the supply of ventilators, masks, hand sanitizer, and other supplies. When companies found it challenging to navigate the ever-shifting regulatory landscape, the president invoked the Defense Production Act to force them to produce what the government wanted when it was wanted. And then to add to the fun, the CDC kept Americans entertained with contradictory advice as to whether or not wearing masks could be helpful. So taking the chaos in D.C. as a challenge to their own abilities at confusing and dismaying the public, state governors feuded with the Trump administration as well as with local officials who were busy baffling us with their own efforts. Perhaps the CDC's test fumbling was seen as insufficiently deadly. Governors of some states, including New Jersey and New York, required nursing homes to accept COVID-19 patients against all advice. Such facilities have accounted for about 40% of all U.S. deaths during the pandemic. In the name of delaying the spread of COVID-19, states and localities issued draconian and arbitrary shutdown rules that closed businesses, choked off travel, interrupted personal relationships, and threatened many people with economic ruin and despair. And to make it worse, some of the governors issuing them promptly ignored or gamed their own rules. Now, J.D. Tussil says this has been to questionable benefit, or the fact that it's been to questionable benefit should go without saying. Now we're seeing a new round of mandated closures after Americans' patience and limited ability to weather orders that shut businesses and kill jobs is greatly eroded. In fact, by the end of May, Americans were unemployed, aggravated, at wit's end, and ready to explode. Despite spending years fueling conflict between the police and the public and then confirming or confining rather the population to stew at home over health concerns and the prospect of unpaid bills and poverty, officials seemed astonished that the country erupted in anger at the latest law enforcement outrage. Police abuse remains a problem that needs to be addressed by policymakers and police professionals. That's according to the federal government's National Institute of Justice back in 2000. 20 years later, with little done to address the issue and lots of time and frustration on their hands, Americans marched, protested, and some also rioted. The killing of George Floyd, the mistreatment of African Americans, anger at police brutality in general, sent people into the streets to demand change in forms good, bad, indifferent, and undefined. And how that change is going to shake out is anybody's guess. As with the pandemic, Republicans and Democrats have turned dealing with the police reform and racism into new excuses for political point scoring. Hang on while the political professionals wet their fingers and hold them in the air. Oh, there's more to this. We'll share it with you just the other side 
of these messages. Welcome back. This is the Brian Hyde Show. I just want to finish up this commentary from J.D. Seal from Reason.com. As delayed tax day approaches, consider what you get for your money. Now, he goes into some of the financials here, and I'm not going to go into all of the details. There's a lot of numbers. It's, a, it's an article well worth reading. You can find the show notes at LovingLiberty.net. But the bottom line is, look, GDP, look, we're looking at a 39.5% decline in the second quarter economies have been pushed by this great lockdown into the worst recession since the great depression and by the way when the u.s government stepped in and well we'll send some checks out there we'll alleviate this pain you realize that even that went very badly of the money paid out to alleviate the pain 1.4 billion went to dead people already well beyond the reach of stimulus efforts and the checks that went to living recipients didn't do much more good I think it was something like 86% of it went to big business or big corporate partners with government rather than the little people, small business owners, and uh, basically taxpayers who were being bent over a barrel by their economic circumstances. Crazy stuff. JJ, or J.D. Tusil says, look, we're getting quite a lot for our money, but whether all that incompetence, infighting, obstructionism, authoritarianism, and waste is worth what we're paying for, well, that's a matter for each of us to decide. We'll have time to contemplate the return on our investment as we await the arrival of this year's tax day and to consider if we're happy with what we're getting for our money. I'm just grateful we have the opportunity to consider it. Most years, everybody would be like, nah, things aren't that bad. Maybe this year we'll look a little closer. All right, back to the phone, 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to the show. Oh, we got, sorry, we got some uh, feedback issues here. Call me back, 801-331-8113. One other quick note here. You've heard a lot of talk about the statues and how, how people want to tear the statues down. We have to dismantle this one, dismantle that one. Jacob Hornberger has a terrific article, which I will post with the show notes. And he says the the, the way that you want to come up with a solution for this is... First of all, ask, why should government be in the statue business in the first place? Why not leave that activity entirely to the private sector? And his thinking is very simple. Under the private sector, the entire matter is depoliticized. Under the principle of private property, a private owner has the right to do whatever he wants with his or her property. So a private owner decides to devote his land to the memory of the Confederacy. Why? Well, he has a right to. It's his property. If he wants to devote it to the memory of hip-hop greats like, uh, you know, Biggie Smalls or whatever, he can do that. He has the right to build a museum decorated with hundreds of Confederate flags containing statues of Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, Jefferson Davis, and other Confederate figures. In fact, the private owner has the right to invite others onto his property to visit his museum. Now, he could let them in for free or he could charge them by the same token People have the right to avoid the museum if they don't want to go visit it. They can boycott it. They can condemn it. They can tell others to avoid it. This makes sense to me. To the extent there's any controversy, it is minimal. 
And that's because no one is forced to underwrite the construction of any government-owned statues through taxation. And Jacob Hornberger also points out, moreover, since the statues aren't located in public, like parks, they don't offend people who are enjoying the park for its own sake. He says, let's get the government out of the statue business at the state, federal, and local level. Building, buying, erecting, and maintaining statues is not a legitimate function of government. Let's leave statues, and for that matter, parks, to the private sector. What an incredibly subversive idea. All right, there was one other article I wanted to share with you. Again, this too will be in the show notes. John Miltimore writing for the Foundation for Economic Education. This was published yesterday. Blue states have been hit much harder by COVID-19. Now, I know, aren't you talking about depoliticizing things? Well, this isn't necessarily politicizing so much as let's look at the data and decide was a big government approach more or less efficacious in slowing the spread of the disease. In fact, uh, John Miltimore starts by pointing out back in March, data guru Nate Silver wrote about the different ways blue states and red states were experiencing the COVID-19 epidemic, noting that states Clinton won do have considerably more total reported cases. But COVID-19 was not just a blue state problem. Silver pointed out that that cases in red states were increasing far more rapidly. Nine of the ten states that have seen the most rapid increase in coronavirus from Monday to Tuesday are states that voted for Trump in 2016, he wrote. Days later, The Atlantic published an article, The Coronavirus's Unique Threat to the South. And that article saw similar ominous signs for red states, like particularly a four-state arc of Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. But as John Miltimore points out months later, we have a far more complete picture of the data, which shows the blue states have borne the brunt of COVID devastation. 11 of the 12 states, including the District of Columbia, with the highest COVID-19 fatality rates, are traditional blue states. Leading the way, unsurprisingly, is New York, which posted the highest deaths total, 31,346, and per capita, 1.6, I'm sorry, 1,611 per million. New Jersey's not far behind New York, though, however, at 1,478 per million. Those states are followed by Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and D.C. Just one red state, Louisiana, seventh highest with 680 per million, cracked the top 12. But the question is why? After all, those blue states all tended to have the most stringent lockdowns. In fact, eight red states, Arkansas, Iowa, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Oklahoma, Utah, and Wyoming, declined to issue stay-at-home orders at all although some took less severe measures. And none of these states were hit hardest, or among the states, rather, hit hardest by COVID-19. Now, the data could lend support to epidemiologists like John Ioannidis, Anders Tegnell, and others who've expressed skepticism on the efficacy of lockdowns. Ioannidis, the C.F. Renborg Chair in Disease Prevention at Stanford University recently wrote in the British, in the uh, sorry the medical journal BMJ, blind lockdown of entire populations has added questionable, or rather has questionable added benefits. John Miltimore also says a second reason could stem from other policy decisions. 
Several states hit hardest by the coronavirus were among those that passed controversial policies, prohibiting nursing homes from refusing to admit patients released from hospitals because they had the coronavirus. Public health experts and trade association leaders had questioned the policies, noting older populations were most at risk and most nursing homes lacked the resources to effectively quarantine COVID carriers. One 31-year-old care worker told the New York Times the policy was a sentence of death for all the older patients. And that policy could explain why several states, New York, New Jersey, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, among them, experienced higher rates of fatality. Jeffrey Clemens, a Harvard-trained economist and associate professor at University of California, San Diego, said the policy of sending recovered COVID patients back to nursing homes is the only policy of which I'm aware that seems unambiguously relevant for explaining differences we've observed between states with outlier death rates and the rest of the country. Following outcry, public outcry that is, over the policy, many states shifted course. Political recently reports that many states, including Massachusetts and Michigan, are now prodding elder care facilities to admit COVID-carrying residents by offering financial incentives, raising the risk of spreading infections, and substandard care for the seriously ill patients. But John Miltimore also says a third possibility is that blue states tend to have higher urban density, which in theory could make spreading of the virus easier. Eight of the states hit hardest by the coronavirus, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Maryland, Delaware, New York, and Pennsylvania are also among the 10 densest states in the U.S. And while urban density may seem like an obvious link to the spread of COVID-19, a recent World Bank report analyzing data from China suggests no, that's not actually the case. The authors found, on the contrary, cities with the highest coronavirus infection rates were those with relatively low population densities in the range between 5,000 to 10,000 people per square kilometer. So the truth is, we don't really know with any degree of certainty why blue states have suffered more throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. John Miltimore says it's safe to say numerous variables, healthcare system quality and access, underlying health and age of the population, policy decisions, habits of hygiene, etc., all could play a role. But he says it must also be noted that we're not through the pandemic. Cases continue to climb in part due to increased transmission and in part through expanded testing, which increased from 345,000 tests per day in May up to 478,000 in June. And red states could see similar results. But for now, the record is clear. The blue states have experienced far worse devastation from COVID-19. 